0: Revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show His servants what must soon take place. As usual, we'll use the chat box for our questions and answer. Uh, we are looking at the seven trumpets. We have already seen the six uh, six trumpets. The first trumpet was blown, and green grass and one third of the trees were burned up, second trumpet was blown, and one third of the sea becomes blood, and one third of ships and sea life destroyed. The third trumpet, one third of waters turn bitter, and the fourth trumpet, one third of sun, moon, and stars do not shine. And in the fifth trumpet, locusts wield the beast's military power, and in the sixth trumpet, we saw a huge army, a third of mankind was killed. Now in between these two, we saw two visions, and today we are going to see the seventh trumpet. That's the final trumpet, and the world's end. The world has come to an end. Uh, That's the way it sounds. So the closing verses of chapter 11 addresses the sounding of the last trumpet sounding of the seventh trumpet. So we we are looking at that. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. So what is the significant difference between this trumpet and the other trumpets? What is the significant difference we find? We have seen all, already the six trumpets. So what's the significant difference that we notice between this one, the last one, and the previous six trumpets? There is no judgment we find here, but instead a uh, worship, the proclamation and worship. Yes, Pastor, yes. So that's what startles us because uh, it is not unlike the other trumpets announced because when the other trumpets were announced, we saw volcanic eruptions, we saw demonic Locus, We saw fire-breathing monsters. And instead of that here, we listen to an outburst of rejoicing in heaven. There is some kind of joy. There's some kind of uh, celebration. Life has come back to heaven. In fact, John hears the heavenly chorus celebrating the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. In fact, there is, the heaven is also waiting. Heaven is also waiting for the kingdom of the world to become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. In John's day, the kingdom of the world refers to Rome. Uh, In our days, we can uh, say that it refers to the world, world system. We can say that constitutes the kingdom. In John's day, when he wrote, he had the Roman Empire in his mind. Uh, so, in our, we the constant struggle is between the world system and the kingdom of God. That is there even today. You, you. With the difficulty that we faces to live with Christian values. So the values are conflicting with the worldly values. So there is a struggle between the world and the kingdom of God, and this is an ongoing battle, and this battle will end only at the second coming of Jesus. And John says he will reign forever and ever. That's the chorus he heard in heaven that the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and He will reign forever and ever. Uh, Don't we say the Lord's Prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. We keep saying that prayer, and uh, a day will come, he will reign forever and ever. So basically what um, John is telling is, he's taking a verse from Daniel, and he's telling that he will reign forever and ever. The reign of Israel's king will never end. It's a reign that will continue forever and ever. The Davidic dynasty will continue. Son of David will be seated on the throne and his reign will be forever and ever. And we find in Daniel chapter 7, 13 to 14, in my vision at night I looked And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." And that's what is being reflected here in the heavenly chorus. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, although this is the last trumpet, but the blowing of the trumpet fits the occasion because His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Basically, it's talking about the king taking uh, his reign. Whenever the king took reign, or when the king took charge, what we call it as the accession of a king to the throne when king accepted that responsibility, that ceremony. Actually, it was marked by the blowing of the trumpet. We, we can see that in 2 Kings 9.13, they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Uh, under, under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. They blew the trumpet. So the sounding of the trumpet, also marks the accession of a king to his throne. So the Bible had always promised that David, uh, David, Davidic Messiah would reign forever and ever. The prophet Daniel has also emphasized that God's kingdom will prevail over the world's empires, over the worldly nations. God's kingdom will prevail. And this is a this gave hope to people of John's time because they were undergoing persecution and they were being persecuted by the people who are in authority. And so that just that that hope that one Jesus will reign forever and ever gave them hope. And uh, even in the Jewish circle, uh, they they said that. Uh, God and his people would reign in the world to come. Jewish people are always looking forward to that time when God and his people would reign forever and ever. Probably that's one of the reasons that they could not accept a meek messiah. They wanted somebody who would be a messiah who will rule in power, who will overthrow the nations, and he will install the Jewish people to rule by his side. And uh, when they saw Jesus, Jesus did not fit into their messianic expectations uh, because that's their faith. A, A time will come, a time, this time, this bad time will end and a good time will come when the Messiah will take charge he will reign when Messiah comes and when he rules, we will also rule along with him. Probably Judas was disappointed when he saw how things were turning out because he thought he's going to become an important man or a minister in the kingdom, but it was not happening. Uh, Could be, We we don't know. So we go to the next verses. Uh, Revelation 11, 16, and 17, when they heard this, the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and began to reign. The kingdom of God has already come, but not had come. That's what we keep saying. The kingdom of God has already come, but not had come. This is a time when it has come. It has come. It is the kingdom of God is being consummated. The kingdom of God is coming in full force. Uh, so the 24 elders, what do they do? They just They, they were seated on their thrones, but they were seated. But when they heard this chorus, they fell on their faces and worshipped God. You know, they're all, the heaven is also waiting for God's assumption of power. The heaven is not happy with the way things are going on. So the heaven is also waiting for the day, for the consummation of the kingdom of God. Uh, Although Judaism acknowledged the God's present rule over the earth today—it—it uh, it was all. It's also looking forward, or it is waiting for that day when this reign will come to an end and God's reign will be inaugurated in full force. They're also waiting, uh, and they all—they usually they—they they think that. Israel will rule over the nations on his behalf. That's the kind of understanding they have. Uh, So they always felt that time will come at the end of the age. Uh, They say that that time will come at the end of the age. So we go to the uh, next verse. Uh, In this verse, they heard the chorus, the 24 elders fell down, worshiped God, And they thank God because he has taken his power and he has begun to reign. So the next verse says, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. This verse basically talks about overthrow of the raging nations. The nations are in opposition to God, and this verse is basically talking about overthrowing them, overthrowing those nations. It's talking about the judgment of the dead. The time has come for judging the dead. And it's talking about rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name. Those who remain faithful. Those who did not deny you, betray you, those who underwent persecution, those who shared your message, your testimony. So they will be uh, rewarded. Uh, so this was basically, if you see Psalm 2, this was Echoes Psalm 2. In Psalm 2 it begins like, "Well the nations will challenge God, And God will say, you know, there's a big laugh in heaven, and God ultimately will rule over the nations. Because Psalm 2 2 says, the kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. The rulers, it's not that one nation, there'll be a conglomerate of nations, there'll be a group of nations who will come together, and they will fight against his anointed. It is not even a nation fighting against a nation. So you can imagine the amount of power that is being exercised against the believers. It is not a nation fighting against the nations. It is a group of nations fighting against individuals who who stand as a testimony for our Lord uh, Jesus. And here it says, the time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets. The Judaism also believed that at the end of the age the prophets will be rewarded. His servants will be rewarded. That was their uh, belief. And here it says for destroying those who destroy the earth. Uh, for destroying those who destroy the earth. It's talking about a kind of stewardship of the environment. Uh, it'll be very difficult for us to narrow down uh, these other people who will be punished. It'll be very difficult for us to pinpoint individuals and to say that uh, they'll be punished, but it definitely it talks about uh, some kind of environmental protection. Uh, God is concerned about his creation uh, because this, this was a mandate that was given way back in Genesis chapter 1 itself this mandate was given and when human beings they don't perform their mandate, when they don't perform their stewardship role the way it has been assigned to them and some kind of punishment is meted out to them. Because in Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the bird in the skies, over the livestock uh, and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Um, they, many Jewish believers, uh, many Jewish uh, writers, they also believed that humanity's sin has corrupted the creation. The sin of human beings have corrupted the creation. Uh, we are, not, we are not, not so active when it comes to environmental protection uh, there are people, but the Word of God calls us. It gives us a mandate to take care of our environment. Uh, you know, there are big companies. Sometimes we think that corporations and corporates they do so much of good to us. Uh, there are many companies which they just don't care for the environment. There was a well-known case sometime in 1995, which came in the news week uh, in in the Nigeria, the shell company was, uh, they had an uh, oil drill there and there was a local Christian, a local leader, a Christian who asked the shell company that they should take care of the environment. But uh, the shell company, they didn't even want to get into an conversation with him they just ignored him instead the report says they paid the military ruler of the day in Nigeria and what happened is uh, the very next day morning the military people came they took him and by noon they executed him by noon and it was video grab, and because the soldiers had to send it back to the military ruler now, oil companies are least concerned about what happens to a environmental degradation. As children of God, we need to ask, what is our role? Our role. We we not only work for a company. Uh, our our role are uh, as Christians. When we work for a company, we should also see. Uh, It is not just pay that matters, how much they pay me. Oil companies, they pay well. But at the end of the day, you have to see whether they are also following the biblical mandate. Uh, There are many companies, not not only the oil company. It's happening uh, in India. There's no environmental protection at all. Uh, Whatever it is there, it is there on paper so the powerful people they bribe the authorities and they are least bothered about whether uh, fishermen will be able to catch fish they are not concerned about their livelihood because that's the reason uh, a yeah, discriminate privatization will result in destruction destruction of the environment uh, you know sometimes we think that uh, Privatization is the answer to our solutions, but privatization is not at all an answer. Privatization done uh, without restrictions and without control will only destroy us as well as the environment. If you study in detail, uh, if you study those environmental magazines, if you read what's happening to the Amazon forest, uh, they're least concerned. They're not at all, the rich people are not interested. The rich people are only interested in making money. But as God's children, we have been given a task uh, to take care of the environment. Uh, This this particular verse, the nations were angry and for destroying those who destroy the earth. If you see the Greek words that are there in this verse, And if you try to compare it with the Old Testament, there is a reference where the very same Greek words are used. Uh, Okay. Okay, I'll come to that a little later. Okay, I'll come to that, where Jeremiah's uh, reference, okay. I'll, I'll come to that to show that verse. Now, uh, this verse also talks about for rewarding your servants, the prophets. So should Christians live expecting a reward in the future? Should we live in the present expecting a reward in the future? No. Uh, we should live in the present. But uh, but not, we should not live for the reward or something like that. Okay. Thank you, Krishna. Anybody else? Yes, we have to uh, ex- live for expecting the reward in the future. Why? Because Paul also mentioned that you have a reward run towards that. So we have to live for uh, expecting a reward. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Jewish tradition emphasized the rewards God would give his people at the time of the end. Uh, that's why I said, to, when the end comes, they will also be rewarded. So the Jewish tradition always said, sometimes the Christian uh, Christians have tried to denigrate uh, the Jewish tradition, but uh, it is not right uh, because... Scripturally, we are required to live expecting a rich reward in heaven. Our life should see, we don't earn our salvation. Salvation is a free gift. We don't do things so that we'll be saved. Having been saved, uh, we need to do things which will give us rewards. Uh, I'll give you the biblical references and then you can decide about that. Because expecting a reward in the future is a great motivator. Uh, we are not here only to collect money in this world. What will we do? But if we spend our money in the way that honors God, if we are generous, are, are, we are collecting rewards. If we give money to people who cannot return, return to us, poor people, sick people, when we help them generously, we are not expecting. It's not that giving loan to somebody, we keep expecting that they will return. Uh, this We will get rewards. If we give our time listening to somebody, we will get our reward. Because we are giving, when I give my time, I'm giving a part of myself. When I deny myself for the kingdom cause, I'm giving myself. And there is a reward. And in heaven, the rewards are, it's not the same for everybody. It is different. It's biblical. It's biblical. Each one will be rewarded. Let me give you uh, scriptural references. Matthew chapter 5, 11, 12, Jesus Christ said, our Lord said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Immediately we will take this verse and apply only to the evangelists or to somebody in the ministry. It is to every child of God in your workplace when you are insulted because of your faith. In your workplace, when you don't compromise because of your faith, and when people say all kinds of evil against you, the Bible says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. When you are denied promotion because you happen to be a Christian, the Bible says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. This, This verse, these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 5.46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? So you have been asked to love your enemies. So it's not easy. But if you do that, you will get reward. You will not get reward from your enemies. They might recognize, they may not recognize. But you will get reward in heaven. Uh, In Matthew 6-1, Jesus said, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Uh, Sometimes people think when we give our tithes, we have to keep it secret. But it's not talking about tithing, because it's a church. It's not talking about that. It's talking about when we are going to help poor people. When we are helping them, we don't have to announce it to the world. We don't have to publicize things. Uh, So if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then if you read that chapter, let what the right hand does, let the left hand does not know that. It's that kind of thing Jesus said. Now, this is from our Lord Jesus. Uh, Let us go... To Paul, the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3:8, "The one for plants and the one for waters have one purpose, and they each and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Everything you do in the kingdom of God, you will be you can be assured of one thing: you will be rewarded. Every little time you spend for the kingdom purpose, it'll it'll be it will be rewarded." whether just being part of a prayer team or being a volunteer's team or just being part of um, community prayer, everything we do in the community for the kingdom purpose, you will be rewarded. The reward comes from God. There's no doubt about it. And Paul says, you will be rewarded according to your own uh, labor. And let me quote uh, one of the disciples, John, 2 John eight says, Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Your reward, not only you should get reward, you should get reward fully. There will be no favoritism in heaven. So each one will be rewarded according to our work in the kingdom of God. It is not earning money, making a name for ourselves in this world. Anything we do in this world, we will leave it here. If in and through that, if we have glorified God, if we have brought honor to God, if our heart is for God, uh, then we will be rewarded fully. And this is a great motivation. It's a motivation for all of us to serve in the kingdom of God because God is keeping an account and we will be rewarded. It is not a selfish thing. It is a motivating factor. I want to know my God more. The reward that in heaven is the degree to which you will be able to enjoy God. The degree to which you will be able to enjoy God. Don't expect a car in heaven. It's not that kind of a reward, material reward. The the enjoyment of God, the more the more you're rewarded, the more you'll be able to enjoy God. Because everything you do in this world, you do it because you love your God. You give away. It's it's only, you know, Christians can be generous because of God's love. And it is God's love which enables us to go and help people who cannot return, who cannot give back. It is only God's love And we alone can do it. We should not expect others to do it. It is because we have experienced his love to the extent we receive that we have received that love, to that extent we'll be able to sacrifice and we'll be able to give. And those deeds are being accounted for and that will be rewarded. Both the righteous and the wicked will receive reward at their time, due rewards when the age comes to an end. Uh, So we are still in Revelation 11, 18 verse, the nations were angry and your wrath has come, the time has come for judging the dead. I said the dead people will be judged for rewarding your servants, the prophets. I said they'll be rewarded. We are the servants of God. We are the prophets of God. We are the people who revere his name and we will be rewarded both great and small and for destroying those who destroy the earth." So I was talking about for destroying those who destroy the earth, and I said the Greek words that are used in this verse uh, uh, have been used in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 51, 25. Before your eyes, I will repay Babylon, and all who uh, live in Babylonia for all the wrong they have done in Zion, declares the Lord. Uh, I am against you, you destroying mountain, and you who destroy the whole earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you off the cliffs, and make you a burned out mountain. Uh, so the Greek translation, if you see this, and Revelation 11, 8, The words are the same and so it's talking about when those days the babylon and all when they inverted the other nations they they just destroyed that they ravaged that nation and god says uh, he will uh, destroy he will destroy the those nations So that's the reason uh, Jesus said in uh, Matthew 26, 52, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to them, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. There's no place for violence in the kingdom of God. Violence is not an answer and that is not the way God is going to establish uh, his reign. Uh, Christians, sometimes they mistook that verse and they went against rampage. That's where you have crusades and inquisitions. But uh, the Bible is very clear, violence is not an answer. Uh, We go to the next verse. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbling speeds of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. So what does the ark symbolize? What does the Ark symbolize? Presence of God. Presence of God. Yes, Pastor. Presence of God. Anything else? The covenant. The covenant, yes. The Ark of the Covenant was the piece of furniture, basically in the tabernacle and the temple that basically that correspond to a throne in ancient uh, Near Eastern uh, symbolism. It's almost like, uh, it's like a king reigning his authority. So, the, when you see the ancient Near East symbolism, and then when you see this, what we could conclude is the Ark uh, fits the dual image of heaven as a throne room, heaven as a throne room, and also as God's temple. So, the, because this is a temple uh, that was opened in heaven, then God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the Ark of his covenant. Uh, When when John saw the Ark of the covenant, he must have been very excited. Uh, Once again, it shows God's presence with his people. Uh, The Jewish people also believed uh, that the covenant of the Ark is deposited, uh, it, it signifies blessings as well as curses. When they disobeyed, there'll be curses, and when they obeyed, there'll be blessings. So it reminds them of both blessings and that, that the kind of plagues uh, that they saw in Egypt. Uh, so the many, uh, if you read the Dead Sea Scrolls, and many apocalyptic writers they fear they they all feel that the the temple has been defiled because the temple has been defiled now a new temple a pure temple has to be built and that will mark the end of the age so this is a temple nobody can say the temple in heaven has been defiled So it's a pure, undefiled temple in heaven So that marks the end of the age. So then God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. It signifies the end of the age and God's presence with his uh, people. Now, in the temple, the ark was in the Holy of Holies and that was seen by the high priest only once in a year. But here, the, and we all know what happened when David tried to bring that ark, uh, where what happened, we all know that. So here, God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. In other words, the ark was in full public view it is something uh, new. Uh, it's altogether a, a new age. Now, he says he saw flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. We have already seen the significance of these uh, symbols. We saw in Revelation chapter 4, 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Now, when Moses went on Mount Sinai, these are the things that happened. This is also a way of conveying that the revelation that John has is in no way lesser than the revelation Moses had. Uh, In the Jewish understanding, for them, Moses was everything. And here it is all to say that even the revelation or the, the way God reveal God reveals Himself to John is in no way you can say it is it is less or inferior to the revelation that Moses had. Now, Now, the question of, we saw that there's going to be judgment, judgment of the living and the dead, there's going to be the reward, and if you see the essence of all this, you know, the essence of all this is just more and more revelation of God, a clearer vision of God. God is not interested in taking a stick and beating people. That is not at all our God. God is a loving God. If God had sent His Son to come and die in our place, His idea is not to take a stick and beat people. It's not that. If people are refusing God, it is their choice. It is not. It's not even God is pushing them. It is their choice, the hardened heart. But uh, the essence of all this judgment and rewards is basically to have a more clearer understanding or a revelation of God. I said the reward itself, if you are being rewarded to a higher degree, that means you will have a higher revelation of God. It is enjoying God. It is That's why we need to uh, learn to enjoy God here itself. We, lead, we need to learn to enjoy God more than our spouse, our children, our designation, our ministry, our money. Uh, our our job, our designation. It's not that we are going to be careless in all these areas. It is only when we love God above all these things we'll be able to love all these things in the right way. Otherwise, they'll all become idols in our in our lives. Uh, so this all this. This verse clearly shows the end of the age has come, at least according to the Jewish understanding, the end of the age has come because this is what they were expecting and this is how it's ending. Now, if John had finished this book here, we would have considered it properly terminated. The end of the world has come, it's finished. But for us, there are 11 more chapters. So, because there are 11 more chapters, now we have to see, because if we read up to this, we can say the end has come. You now, what is there in the 11 more uh, chapters? But what's going to happen in, in the 11 more chapters is, the author is now again trying to go back. We said we cannot set the things in a chronological order as far as the book of Revelation is concerned. Uh, because this is the this was a comment which I made in the opening session itself if you are going to say this vision is now it will happen next this will happen it is not you cannot put this book in a calendar of events and then you say these are the last days I can count 80 days more 79 days more we cannot do that uh, this book has not been given for us to count the number of days that are left it's not that but at the same time, this verse 19 is very important for us to understand the rest of the uh, book. Uh, Jewish people generally believed that God has hidden the ark, and it would be revealed; it would be restored at the end of time. So the ark has already been revealed. We have already seen that. So, for as far as the Jewish understanding goes, the final judgment has come. That's what we saw. The people will be rewarded, punished. We saw that. And God also unveils this heavenly temple. That means God's presence will be with his people. Once again, God's presence will be with his people. And it is a perfect temple, undefiled temple, pure temple. Uh, Now here everyone could see the ark in the temple only the high priest once in a year. So extraordinary things have already happened. Now, what is left now? What is left now? So we have to see that we need to understand this so that we can understand how things will happen. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is always in the temple, in other words, God's power. Uh, god's presence god's power even if you see in the ancient near east uh, they always deposited a covenant in the temple uh, in 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 the in in many villages the temple will be in the middle in the middle uh, it is in some places uh, generally people believe the power rested in the temple and even when the uh, in the Roman people, when, in the, the Roman soldiers, when they went to war, they always believed the spirits went from their temple. It'll, the spirits will go along with them, and after the battle is over, it will come back to the temple. So, even in the uh, biblical understanding, they took the ark and they went around. What happened in, uh, in the Jericho wall? So it's the power that is symbolized. Uh, so f- as for the Jewish understanding is concerned, once they've seen the Ark and a heavenly temple, that's the end of the age. It's finished. But John continues. And that's what we see in chapter 12, the satanic trinity. We are going to study the, dra- the dragon and the two beasts. And that's what he's going to say from Revelation chapter 12 to chapter 14. It's the satanic trinity. Now, this is a very central theme because this is the theme that is lodged between the trumpets and bowls. Again, we are going to read the seven bowls, so it is it is it's very central in this uh, in this book. Uh, Now, if we can understand this portion correctly, we will be able to interpret the rest of the book fairly well. So it's important for us to understand the meaning of this particular passage very, very clearly. Uh, If we pay attention, we'll be able to interpret the symbolism uh, in in a way that we ought to understand. Uh, now, if if you have seen chapter 11, what did we see in chapter 11? One, judging the dead, rewarding the servants of God, and then opening God's temple in heaven. That's what happens in chapter 11. Judging the dead and the servants, the prophets, rewarding the servants of God and opening God's temple in heaven. Now when we come to chapter 12, we are having a flashback. Chapter 12, we have a flashback. So what do we have in chapter 12? The birth of the Messiah. The attempt of King Herod to kill Jesus. John is going back. In other words, he's going to tell the gospel story in, in, in the form of symbolism. What we have in Matthew chapter two is a historical narrative. And John is going to tell the same story in, in sensational Near Eastern imagery. What he's going to tell in chapter twelve he's going to talk about the birth of the Messiah He's going to talk about the attempt of King Herod to kill Jesus. Uh, For a second, if you have not read chapter 12, just imagine if you have to present this story, because we all know the birth of the Messiah. We all know uh, King Herod attempted to kill Jesus. Uh, How will you imagine that story? If you have to explain it, in an apocalyptic language, in a symbolic language, how will you imagine the story? Just the birth of the Messiah, the attempt of king had to kill Jesus. Now, whatever you have imagined, what was your, what was your uh, understanding, the baseline? of that kind of imagination. What was your background information for you to imagine the kind of imagination you had? But in John's time, there were many parallels that were found in Babylonian, Persian, and uh, Egyptian, as well as in Greek mythology. There were many parallels, and also in astrological lore. Those people were into astrology, and there are many parallels to this story. Now for us, it is not that what sources John may have used, but what use he now makes of them. That is important for us. It is not that what sources he used, because there are many parallels in the ancient Near East, we are not interested in that, but what use he now makes of them. Because of the unusual kinds of imagery that are combined here, uh, most of the readers will find this is one of the most bizarre chapters. It's a very unusual chapter. It is a very strange chapter. Should this chapter be in the Bible? The way we read the modern readers, the way we understand literature, the way we read books, should it be in, in the Bible at all. <clears throat> but for the ancient readers who were familiar with the stories, uh, they would be able to relate the story better. They were able to relate <clears throat> the story of Israel giving birth to Jesus and Satan's opposition to God's people. That's what we are going to see in this chapter. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, 1 says, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Did anyone could imagine a figure like this? For us, it's very difficult and it is very strange. But in John's time, it is not so difficult. And even the readers, uh, for them, it was not a strange symbol. For us, definitely it's a bizarre. It is something weird we can say that. This is something weird. A woman clothed with a sun with a moon on her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. So John is basically dealing with symbols, and what he's telling is. A great sign appeared. A great sign appeared in heaven. He's calling this as a sign. Uh, In apocalyptic literature, uh, women, symbolic women, were presented. There were uh, characters of women in apocalyptic literature. Uh, Now, the sun and moon and 12 stars. Uh, 12 stars, we may not have a problem. We may say it is 12 stars of... Uh, uh, 12 tribes of Israel. We will not have that kind of a problem. Uh, now, the Jewish, in the Jewish tradition, they also said Abraham is like sun, Sarah is like moon. That was Jewish traditions. Uh, In Genesis 37, 9, it says, Then he had another dream, and he told to his brothers, Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So the Jewish Jewish people were familiar with this this kind of symbols when they saw sun, moon, stars. Uh, It was not strange for them. Uh, as we go, uh, go along, we will also see serpents in this chapter. Uh, now, serpents, for in many cultures, it's an object of disgust. But in many traditional cultures, serpent is being worshipped. And for us, it's not difficult to understand that, how serpent is being worshipped here. Now, now for people who read this, read the Bible as God's message, uh, we should not try to interpret this uh, with the present day symbols. Uh, If we do that, we will fail. Uh, We should try to understand how the original audience understood this message. So we have to examine each of these characters and we have to determine what they symbolize in Revelation and how what first what they symbolized in revelation and how they they would have been understood in the first century in the first century people when they read the book of revelation how did they understand these symbols now we saw a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars uh, on her head uh, Few centuries ago, you know how people interpret it? They said sun means is the Christian world, moon means is the Islamic world. But it doesn't make sense because there was no Islam in the first century. So that's the way people interpret, and sometimes we read that and we find it's very interesting, and we say this is what it means. It doesn't mean just because somebody says it doesn't mean. We have to understand what the symbolism meant in the book of Revelation and how the readers, they understood uh, this particular symbol. So we go to the second verse. She was pregnant. The woman who was clothed with sun and the moon under her feet, and she had a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. In the Old Testament, uh, Israel, whenever it was faithful, uh, the Israel was always presented as a virgin. uh, In other words, as God's bride. But whenever the Israel became uh, unfaithful, they were portrayed as a prostitute in the Old Testament. I don't want to give the references. There are many references. For unfaithfulness, they were called as prostitutes. When they were faithful, they were called as virgin, uh, virgin or God's bride. Uh, So the Israel was always considered as a mother of the restored future remnant of Israel. Now we go to the next verse. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. This woman was about to give birth, but when she was about to give birth, there is another sign. Enormous, just dragon itself is fearful, and John is describing the dragon as an enormous red dragon, and not only an enormous red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns on its heads. A great red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns. Enormous, the description. If you read the ancient Mesopotamia, Mesopotamian myths, you will always find seven-headed monsters. The biblical tradition also announced the serpent Liviatan had many heads. We have come across this name, Leviathan, or even you find the word Rehab. It all denotes the sea monsters. I will give you one reference or two. In Psalm 74, 14, it was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave it as a food to the creatures of the desert. God is powerful the sea monster. Anyone who rules over sea monster was considered in the ancient Near East as God, is supreme. So here the Bible says God is supreme over all the forces. After all, these are all created forces, and it was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan. And the seven-headed dragon was also part of the Canaanite mythology. Um, Now John is using the symbolism for better purposes. And that's the reason we should uh, try to understand. Now, even God's parting of the Red Sea uh, was considered as a defeat for the Leviathan because God made a way for the Israelites. So the Leviathan was defeated. In other words, God is supreme. Uh, I just... Do one more. uh, I'll give you one more reference. I'll finish it. Isaiah 27.1 In that day, the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. Uh, For John... The serpent is the ancient serpent, because when we come to chapter 12, 9, in the same chapter, when we come to verse 9, he will talk about serpent as the ancient serpent, which are the serpent which deceived Adam and Eve, uh, which made them to disobey God. So he will give the explanation for the uh, serpent, uh, that serpent is the ancient serpent. In other words, it denotes uh, devil. Okay, we'll continue with this uh, next week. If you have any questions, you can ask. So, Pastor, so this uh, Revelation eleven, uh, where we read now, where we studied now, fifteen onwards is a culmination of what god started when man god created man said you shall rule the world okay the purpose of god creating man is to rule the world and that's mentioned in genesis 1, 26 and here you find that you know christ begins to rule and share with this people so it 's a culmination of what god started in genesis one twenty six yes pastor yes yes pastor that 's why i said if John had ended Chapter 11, uh, we can perfectly accept it as the end of the age. Mm. Uh, It it portrays everything. A new temple has come, reward has been given. Uh, The ark has been seen, a new temple has been opened in heaven. So temple means God's presence with his people, reward. He has judged both the living and the dead. He has given the rewards. And the ark has been seen, That is a great revelation. What was hidden once is now open for everyone to see. But uh, we could have called it as the end of the age. But since we have 11 more chapters, we have to struggle to find out what he says. It is the end of the age. It doesn't mean that what we are studying in Revelation uh, chapter 12 is going to happen after chapter 11. John is now going back telling the gospel story in a symbolic way. In an apocalyptic language, he's telling the gospel story, the birth of Messiah, the Herod trying to kill uh, Jesus. Hmm. Okay. He's going back. Yeah, but if... Bible is not a speculative book. If you're not, uh, you know, because when people describe the dragon as this, ten horns represent these nations, uh, we sometimes we get excited. But if you read a biblical interpretation, if you strictly follow the biblical interpretation, uh, this doesn't seem to be right. There are many people who misinterpret the Bible and they put it in a very interesting way. Uh, language, so we think it is true. And all till now, everybody who has predicted the end of the age, Have they have only gone wrong. Till now. From from the first coming of Jesus Christ, till 2020, uh, 4th of November, who has, whoever has predicted the world will end on so-and-so day, They've all failed. You read the history, you you will see that each and every one, they have failed in their prediction because this book does not give us that kind of, uh, it's not giving us a calendar. It is like somebody said, somebody has prophesied that COVID-19 will come and it will just go away. And they started selling that book at a very, very huge, uh, high cost sometime in the month of March. And then everyone thought COVID-19 will come and it'll just go away. And we have lived with COVID-19 almost for the past nine months. So sometimes the so-called prophets, um, I'm not against the gift of prophecy, but we have to be careful. At least this book is very plain. It was given to simple people to understand. So this book is not a very complicated book. Uh, it's not that we need to know rocket science to understand this book. It's a book to given to simple people who are followers of Jesus going through very difficult time. Persecution. Just to strengthen them, encourage them, asking them to just hold on a little longer and you will be rewarded. That's the idea. Uh, Shall we all say this prayer together? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. Glorious Father, we are also waiting for your kingdom to come. Oh Lord, we pray that your kingdom will come and you will reign forever and ever, O Lord. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us from the Word of God. I pray it will encourage us, it will strengthen us, it will edify us, and it will mold us, O Lord, make us more like children of God. Bless each and everyone who have attended this Bible study. Be with them, bless them, protect them from COVID-19, O Lord. Protect them from any kind of calamity. Protect them, O Lord, guard them. Be with them, encourage them, strengthen them. Let your presence increase in each one of our lives. We bless your name. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, unfailing love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit remain with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen.